This is Horsin' Around with Broncos insider Andrew Mason. Oh my God! Each week, Mace takes you inside the Denver Broncos. I like it! Players, coaches, insiders, and of course, with a twist only Mace can provide. Buddy duddies! Now, here's Orange and Blue 760's Andrew Mason. Horsing around at the Scouting Combine, I'm Andrew Mason. We've got a packed show for you today from here in Indianapolis. First, we're at the Combine, so let's talk draft. Now, we are not getting every answer about prospects here as they work out interview with teams, but the information gathered here will help clubs like the Broncos make their decisions in April. NFL.com analyst Bucky Brooks' latest mock draft has the Broncos taking Missouri quarterback Drew Locke. Why does he think that pick makes sense? He tells us his reasoning in a conversation with me, Ryan Edwards, and Ring of Famer Steve Atwater. Brooks also shares why the Broncos might have to look to free agency for their answer at inside linebacker, and that's because of a lack of effective three-down linebackers in this draft class. Here's our chat with Brooks from Radio Row at the NFL Scouting Combine. In your most recent mock for the Broncos, you got Drew Locke going at 10. What do you like about him, and why do you like him to the Broncos? Well, I like him to the Broncos because I think everyone is going to have a bit of the Pat Mahomes effect, meaning they're going to look for the young quarterback that they can redshirt for a year while they have a veteran in place. Obviously, you make the trade for Joe Flacco. It doesn't put the pressure to put the young quarterback on the field right away. When you think about Drew Locke, Drew Locke has similarities to a Matthew Stafford. Tremendous arm talent, outstanding athleticism, but maybe not fully developed at this time. The talent is worthy of being a top 10 pick, but he just hasn't played to that level. Now that you have Joe Flacco there, maybe it's a year, maybe it's two years. He gets the red shirt and then he is ready to be the starting quarterback for the Broncos. With Drew Locke last year, seemed like he got more accurate, got more settled late in the season. What's the real Drew Locke? Is it the guy that we saw from the Florida game onward or the guy who was a bit more inconsistent before then? Well, I, I think the big thing with Drew Locke, you have to understand, Derek Dooley came over and kind of took over the offense and put him in more of a pro-style offense with real reads. In the previous system, it was more of a, a spread system. There were a lot of options, so he appeared to stare down his primary options. When the offense changed, you saw him kind of become more comfortable making reads, and you have to also have to dig into his back background. This is a kid that was a legitimate D1 basketball kid. He didn't spend all of his time learning how to play quarterback, so he has only recently become become a guy that has been fully immersed in the quarterback process. I think as you continue to get around him and continue to see him develop, he has an opportunity to be a really star in the league. All right, Buggy, so a lot of guys, people in Denver, two guys especially, would like to see the Broncos take Kyler Murray mm. there at that number 10 pick. Don't think it's going to happen, especially taking into account what John Elway said. One of the things that John said, though, was that at his size, uh, it makes it difficult to see the whole field mm-hmm. when you're coming out from up underneath the center versus being in a shotgun like he was the majority of the time of, at Oklahoma. How big of a problem do you see that? You know, I mean, I, I, mean, I think, like, John certainly made valid points. He's a Hall of Famer. He played the position. The only thing that we can say is, like, based on the numbers, Kyler Murray only had five passes batted down. They're guys who were taller, who had significantly more passes batted at the line of scrimmage. I think some of it is understanding how to find passing lanes and windows and being able to throw around defenders to get the ball into the hands of people. I think the big thing when we talk about playing on the center, look at Baker Mayfield and what the Cleveland Browns did. They put him under center. They did max protection stuff, old school stuff, two and three tight ends on the field, and he was able to do it. But I think the big thing we have to do when we think about young quarterbacks, 
you can't put it all on them. The teams that have had success with their young quarterbacks, they had other playmakers around them. They leaned on the running game. The defense allowed them to play a certain way where they could keep the quarterback on a pitch count. It is a total team effort to get a young guy up and going while you're still trying to win games. What are some of the mid-round quarterbacks that are most intriguing to you that if the Broncos decided to wait on quarterback out of the first round that you'd be interested in seeing them take a look at? You know, it's kind of tough because like this class, like there's some names and there's some guys there, but it depends on how later we talk. And like below the first round, the guys like Ryan Finley from NC State, who could be a second or third round player, very accurate, a six-year player, had a lot of experience. The game is slowed down when you watch him in the senior bowl. He plays like a pro because he's had a ton of reps and experience. He is someone that's intriguing. Uh, Jared Stidham from Auburn is another quarterback who has played a lot, bounced around a lot, didn't have the final year that we thought he would have, but he's still a pretty good player, pretty good guy that you can bring in and develop. The difference is when you talk about them top guys, you're talking about guys that are the blue chip starters, guys that you're counting on to start. When you're dealing with a mid-round guy, it's a developmental prospect, and so you just don't know what you're going to get at the end of the day. Where is the value in this draft? In terms of positions, which positions at the best value going into day two and day three? You know, if you ask me, uh, it's a meat and potatoes draft. The value is in the defensive line, uh, the offensive line, but really in the tight end position. Tight end, there are a ton of guys that can play, and there are a ton of guys that you can get outside of the first round that can make plays. In the first round, you hear about Irv Smith, uh, TJ Hawkinson, and then Noah Fant. But then when you get outside of that, Man, Jay Sternberger is a guy that can play. Um, You have Caden Smith from Stanford, who's another playmaker that can play. And there are a number of guys that are kind of like that. Isaac Nada from Georgia. So if you're looking for a tight end and the game is evolving to where you're playing more tight ends because they create the biggest mismatches, there are a ton of guys that the Broncos can find if they wanted to target a tight end. All right, but what do you think about the the cornerbacks? Uh, you know, we got Greedy Williams, Byron Murphy, uh, DeAndre Baker, some of the top guys out there. How do you have? Uh, what was your top? three or four corners look like? You know, it's funny because it's all different. It depends on what style you want. Do you want a, a bump and run corner where Greedy Williams would be in the mix? Uh, Trayvon Mullen would also be in the mix. If you want a guy that is a little more balanced, Byron Murphy to me is very similar to Chris Harris Jr. In terms of ask me what you want to play this week, I can line up and do it. So he is a very talented corner. People will question the size, but in terms of being able to play, he can do it. Uh, Juan Williams from Vanderbilt is another guy. He's big. He's played man and zone. He can press. He can play off. Speed will be a factor, but in terms of playing the game, those guys know how to play the game. Ultimately, it depends on what does Vic Fangio want to do with his defense. I think this defense is going to look different than they looked in previous years where they played all that man-to-man and put a lot of pressure on them. I think you'll see a little more zone, a little more keep the ball in front and do it, and I think there are a number of corners that can play in that style. You wrote about how the quarterback market's gotten out of hand last year you you talked about and it is crazy and one of the things we've talked about on the show is will we eventually see because it's gotten so crazy for the guys that are kind of on the cusp of being franchise quarterbacks but maybe not ones that team want to commit to maybe they reset after four or five years is that something that you think is really legitimately possible I think it should be possible because we do that with every other position. Like, I think part of the reason sometimes you have discord in teams is because you look around the locker room and the quarterback is making 18, 19, 20 million dollars and your best players 
aren't making that kind of money. And so then we're saying, oh, you're the franchise quarterback. You're paying you like one. But then we need everybody else to help you go. Like it, it just messes up the chemistry and the continuity. I am waiting for the general manager, the executive that is willing to cycle out quarterbacks like we do running backs and other positions. If you can't play, if you can't sustain it, let's get another one. And let's not worry about trying to lock these guys up and manufacture a franchise quarterback when they're not there. Vic Fangio, he's often had outstanding inside linebackers, guys who were three-down players. You know, Roquan Smith, Navarro Bowman, Patrick Willis. Who are some of the guys that could fit that bill in this draft? It's a little bit of a disappointing year when it comes to inside linebackers. Like, they're not the marquee names at the top. You're here... Devin White, the outstanding athlete from LSU. You'll hear people talk about Devin Bush, but Devin Bush is a little undersized, kind of like Al Wilson was there. So if you're comfortable playing with an undersized Mike linebacker, he can fit, but he's not going to be to everybody's taste. After that, there's a tremendous drop-off. You can talk about guys like Mac Wilson from Alabama that can play, Josiah Taifa from UTSA, San Antonio. He can play and make tackles, but... Man, you're talking about a guy that's in the mid-rounds. A lot of times, if someone starts from the mid-rounds, it's a little bit by surprise. It's not expected. At the top, there are not a lot of guys that can come in right away and do it. It may be something that you investigate in the free agent market. So, Buck, you've been analyzing offensive systems, defensive systems, quarterbacks, coaches, the whole nine yards for many years, and we really respect your opinion. How much of an impact can a, a change in scenery have for, just say, a new quarterback or even, hey, the, the whole team uh, in terms of uh, just, just new life and just new way of doing things? I think for Joe Flacco, uh, as we were speaking to him, I think a new scenery can really help him because the biggest thing for him is what we call fit and scheme. Are they going to put him in a scheme that really fits how he plays? I believe the last couple of years, he hasn't been in a system that really fits what he does. Uh, he had his most success under Gary Kubiak. Gary Kubiak was running the old school stretch, bootleg, play action system that allowed him to have the vertical stretch game. If you think about what they're doing with their new offense, the new offense looks like what Kyle Shanahan did in San Francisco. Kyle Shanahan has made everyone look good. If they can sprinkle some of that magic dust on Joe Flacco, I think the system can work. The big thing will be, can you sustain it with the running game? Can Phillip Lindsay continue to do what he did as an undrafted free agent? Or will Royce Freeman show up and, and emerge? Regardless, you have to have the running game because the running game kind of sets the table. And when Joe Flacco has been at his best, it's been when the running game has been kind of like the forefront of the offensive movement. And then he was the complimentary player. Bucky, NFL Network is all over the combine. You guys have been been out here for years, and uh, it is no exception this weekend. You guys are going to be wall-to-wall. What's the coverage going to look like for you guys? Uh, it's going to be bananas. I mean, we're going to have all the coverage like starting at 9 a.m. on Friday all the way through. We see every drill. We'll cover it all. And so from Friday to Monday, we have, have it all. I think it's a very, very exciting time. It just shows the popularity of the game. We're excited to be a part of the coverage. Brooks likes luck for the Broncos. NFL Network's James Palmer suggests Ohio State quarterback Dwayne Haskins. Of course, James went to Ohio State. Let's get that out there. We get into that and a slew of other talking points, including the Broncos' reported trade for Joe Flacco, how Flacco could play well enough to help the Broncos in 2019 but hurt their draft slot for next year, and Jason Witten's decision to leave broadcasting and return to the field 
in our conversation from Radio Row. One of our favorite guys, James Palmer from NFL Network, joining us here on set. Uh, James, thanks for swinging by here. I know it's a, a busy time for everybody in the NFL Network. How are you, man? I'm good, guys. I'm just, you know, yeah, dissecting we... this Jason Witten news. Oh, along my goodness. Right Seconds now, ago. He made, back to he the... made two teams better. Oh, wow. Wow. Too soon, Mace. Too soon. <laughs> Damn. That's a nice oh, I said last year when John Gruden left went to the Raiders, he might have made two teams worse. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, yeah. we'll see what the – honestly, we'll, we'll have to see what the Raiders do in this draft with the picks and capital they have. Oh, hey, what crazy, about this? Man. Even yeah. though they're so into, you know, Derek Carr is our guy. What if they use those and they, like, trade up, get Kyler Murray, like – do something completely insane with these picks. I and, would just love to watch the show. And then the Broncos have think... to spend two-thirds of their divisional schedule going against Patrick Mahomes and Kyler Murray. Yeah. Yeah, how about that? Oh, I think Ryan just had a heart attack. And he doesn't yeah, know you, you could actually pinpoint the moment my heart ripped in half <laughs> right then, thinking, okay, great. Not only am I pounding the table for the Broncos to get him, he stays in, he goes in this division oh, in the Broncos. But I, I mean, twice a year. you had to hear John, you know, yesterday. I didn't, oh, yeah. didn't seem like a huge Kyler Murray guy. No, no, no like not at all. Definitely, but, uh, but this is a bit of the debate here because, and you've been covering the NFL for a long time, GMs, coaches, this time of year. I mean, is it possible? And we know we know what his track record is with quarterbacks, but is it possible that he might be saying what he thinks we want to hear because he doesn't want us thinking about what he could be considering because he wants to keep all his options open? Yeah, I mean, I, there's definitely. I mean, look, there's plenty of posturing that's going on this entire week, right? I mean, it's it's what happens this entire time. I mean, and, but you really can't, you know. To me, John is one of those guys that I think he he enjoys going up there and telling you what he thinks. Right. I think mm-hmm. that's kind of – I think it's one of the things that makes him a little refreshing, in a sense, in the NFL world, too. I think he goes up there and just tells you what he thinks. And and there's there's few guys like Pete Carroll does that. Pete Carroll goes up and just tells you exactly what's on his mind. Uh, and there's not a lot of hiding things like, you know, say Bill Belichick or, you know, somebody else that's going to that's gonna come in here and not really tell you. I think that's what he believes on, on – Kyler Murray. I think that's legitimately what he thinks. I think he. Could, I think he's a guy that would like Haskins. Um, mm-hmm. That kind of fits John's style at the quarterback spot. But the problem is, <laughs> at dinner with and there he is on our there right now. Our new top guy, Daniel Jeremiah, who's fantastic. Yeah. We had dinner the other night, and he was like. Even if this building was on fire, I think Dwayne Haskins would move the exact same pace if there was no fire out of the building. That's how, like, methodically slow he is in inability to move. But, man, he's accurate, has a great arm, yeah. big dude. He may get hit a lot because he can't move, but I think that body might be able to take a little bit of a pounding. It's like 265 pounds. I mean, it's like 265. Nuts. It's something like that. Yeah. I mean, he's up there, he's man. Big. He is a big dude. That The comp for me for, with him is Roethlisberger. It is, yeah. And I think because you can you can throw he can throw with guys on him, yeah. you know what I mean. He'll just stand in there, and the best part is when you know, I'm, I'm a Buckeye, so I'm a I've watched every game, and I mean when they needed a yard, he could just fall forward like oh, all man. massive amount of him. Just you can't <laughs> slow him down. I mean he had several rushing touchdowns just from a yard out, just because he just bowled his way in in no speed whatsoever. But I like the way he plays the spot. He's a guy that I think John would like the way he plays quarterback. Now, Elway, kind of going, parsing through his comments yesterday, he said, quote, I think there are a lot of people excited about next year's class. He had some kind words about Justin Herbert later on, for example. Do you think that 
their focus in terms of looking at quarterbacks is as much on 2020 as it is right now. Well, this is what I think is the issue and the problem. You go and you make the Joe Flacco move, and part of that is you like the 2020 class a lot, but you believe that Joe Flacco is going to win you more games, and you believe that if you do get to the playoffs, he's a guy that obviously they're in love with the way he's played road playoff games, if that's what, you know the way you fall in, and you do all that. But if that's what happens and the 2020 draft now rolls around, you're not in a position to pick one of those quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Unless you, you know, build draft unless capital. You, exactly. And then you're going to have to make some creative moves to get one of those guys in 2020. So it's almost like I get the move. You always want to win. But at the same time, with this move and he goes and does why you go, goes out and does what you got him to do, then he's going to hurt you going out and getting your next quarterback because this is not obviously the long-term solution. So, James, do, do you think – at this point in time, our offensive line is good enough to protect Joe Flacco, or do we need to add some pieces there? Oh, there needs to be pieces added there, yeah. And I'm, I'm going to be talking to the Texans later. That's another team that really needs offensive line help. And the good thing about this draft is there are going to be there's, – there's not like those premier Joe Thomas type of tackles in this draft, but there's, there's a number of guys – that are going to be decent pros Whatever throughout this draft. Whatever would you yeah. attack first? I would. I would. We, we don't I, know about I, I Matt Paradis, right? Exactly. I would. I would look. I would take the best available lineman. Okay. Regardless. Regardless yeah. of position, when your pick comes up, you know who who is. If it's a guard, I'm fine with it. If it's a tackle, I'm. I mean, I would go and and lean heavily on Mike Munchak. And this is going to be my hot take of this interview. In Pittsburgh, and I think, Steve, we talked about this earlier, so you, you might remember this. My hot take of this, of this combine is, in Pittsburgh, with everything that's going on with Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, when this season's over, we're going to find out that losing Mike Munchak was the biggest, biggest loss, loss mm-hmm. for the Steelers this season. That's how good he is, and that's how important he was to that offensive line group. I know a lot of people there. It's he was a difference maker. Now let's lean on him and Denver on how you're going to rebuild things in front of whoever the quarterback's going to be moving forward. But that's a spot that just is just des- along with corner, just desperate need. Yeah. So uh, we're talking with James Palmer here from NFL Network. The reported trade for Joe Flacco, the, it, it's a big debate on how much they improved, how much the Broncos improved. You talk about the O-line. That, that's something that, that needed to be addressed no matter what. A wide receiver, Considering Emmanuel Sanders' injury, they might need to address that as well. So those things all kind of stay remain the same. But looking at the numbers between Flacco and Case Keenum, they're not strikingly different. So in your opinion, what changed? I think what you got is, and this is one of the things that multiple people in the building had told me, was they were lacking a leadership on the offensive side of the football big time. Uh, and and I think one of the things, and this isn't a knock on Case, it's, this is for a couple reasons, one being... He had never really been the guy before. Mm-hmm. It's a hard thing to lead an entire, you know, really you're the face of the franchise. He's never really had that, and I think he worked on it. And I think at the same time, in his opinion, and I'm not going to speak for him, but this is my thought, is that he wasn't playing up to his standards. So how do you go out and start riding right. everybody else that's part of the group when you don't think you're playing all that well yourself? It's kind of difficult oh, to yeah. go out and do that. Now, Joe, on the other hand, is a super respected player in a locker room. I've covered plenty of Ravens games over the years where he is a really well-liked one of the guys. Uh, if, with all the money Joe's made, he is a blue-collar, you know, everyday man that is well-liked by teammates. And I think that's where you definitely improved on the offensive side of the ball is what he brings to your locker room, what he brings in terms of leadership, winning big games, all of those things that Case didn't really have. 
I got to throw something at you with Munchak. We actually talked about this at the time. The Broncos were interviewing him. In Roethlisberger's first 10 seasons, when Munchak was in Tennessee, Pittsburgh's sack rate allowed was second worst in the league. Mm-hmm. Same quarterback for most of the time the last five years with Munchak, second best. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, there you go. There's certain there, – another direct example of how important this coach – like some position coaches, Steve knows, like some position coaches, like you can get by having a guy that's not the top of the creme de la creme of, of position coaches. On that spot, go look at the Patriots on the year that Dante Skarnickia left. 2015 against the Broncos. And then Shredded. He, and then he comes back. And they don't have great offensive line talent in New England. But, man, they got a guy that – I don't know anybody who's just been a position coach and gone to the Hall of Fame. Dante Skarnickia might be the, the one guy that should. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how important technique – and yeah. coaching can be of the offensive line group, and that's obviously what everybody's hoping in Denver can can be a big change with bringing in Munchak. James, what are your thoughts uh, on the Broncos? I know we haven't talked much about the safety position, uh, but last year we had some struggles in that area. Uh, we got uh, both Justin Simmons, these two coming back, Philly Will Parks, uh, Sua Cravens, Jamal yeah. Carter, quite a few guys in that room. What do you en- envision that that, that room Looking like once the season starts. Yeah, I, I, I think Stu might be in danger of, of being a casualty of, of what could be moving forward with this with this defense. I think I wanted a big jump in Justin Simmons last year, and I think I think a lot of us kind of thought that, mm-hmm. right? I think a lot of us kind of thought we're going to see a, a really he's so smart, and and and, and obviously, Steve, you know the position thousand times better than I do, but. Um, <laughs> I think the way Vic wants to play things on the backside, not knowing everything, but I think that's going to help too. I, I think the way things were, the way the guys had to play in the system that they were in over the last year, maybe I think now you're going to see something different out of that. I like Will. I, I, I mean, I'm a fan of Will. There's guys around the league, guys, that are like, Philly Will play. can play, yeah. man. Yeah. Like, I'll, I'll be in other locker rooms and they'll be like, nobody talks about him. That dude can play. Yeah, like, other yeah, guys around it. the league can, and man, he's on pretty much every single. Uh, team, every single thing that this, you know, I, I don't know what he, I remember one time during training camp, he's walking off the field like exhausted after a game. And I'm like, I'm like, hey man, what package are you not in? <laughs> and he's like, he's like, thanks for noticing. That's what he said. He's like, thanks for noticing, man. Like, yeah. I am. I'm on every package. And so I, I think you could always find some, some additional, but I, I, I'd like to see Justin make that big jump that we're all kind of thinking. I mean, what I'd like to get your take actually on, on Justin because I, I've, it all seems to be there. Um, maybe he had too much on his plate last year with trying to run everything. Yeah, I, I think I'm the same. I'm with you. I, I think that he definitely has potential. Uh, I, I would say most of the guys in the secondary don't feel like they played their best last year. And, uh, you know, just from watching film, nobody's told us this, but from watching film, they weren't all on the same page all yep. the time before play starting. You know, they're pointing and, you know, trying to get guys in the right position. And, uh, that's one of the things that I'm confident that uh, with Coach Fangio and uh, Ed Donatel there as, as defense coordinator, yeah. that, that should be eliminated and you know they'll know where they're supposed to be and when they're supposed to be there. I'd like to see them come out and do more of the, this is our opponent this week, this is how we're going to change everything mm-hmm. we're doing. You know, the adjustment side of things is what I'd like to see more instead of the lineup and play in a, in a sense a little bit. Yeah. Couple quick questions for you before we let you go. James Palmer from NFL Network joining us here on set, live from the 2019 NFL Combine. 
First question, where's Antonio Brown playing in 2019? Second question, what did Steve Kime mean by right now? We're talking about <laughs> I know my boy Stevie got himself in a little bit hot, hot water there. You know, Unless I, it was I, intentional. You have to – that might be more intentional than say something John might say about – I mean, you got the number one pick. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to play a lot of games when you got number one. Mm-hmm. Um, you've seen how good John Lynch the other, you know, the other year ends up boop, boop, boop and gets exactly who he was going to pick in the first place. Yep, <laughs> and, right. And, right. And it, and it, so having that pick, you do have to play a lot of games. So I do think they're going to stick with Rosen, um, in my opinion. And then the other part of it with Antonio Brown, I like – I know, I know it's the, the spot that everybody brings up, but I think, I think San Fran is probably yeah. mm-hmm. one of the places that I, I think kind of fits um, that kind of move. I, it's something I just think we all kind of know. It's something I think John would do. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. And they're in desperate need yeah. of receiver help. So um, that's kind of the spot that I, I'm, I'm going to play with. Oh, or should I go with the Steelers? No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> that's not happening. No, that no, no, no. <laughs> Let's turn to the quarterback position and a passer who could be on the Broncos' radar later in the draft if they wait to take a young QB, Mississippi's Jordan Tamu. Here is our conversation. Big week for you down at the East-West Shrine game last month. How would that help you out? Um, East West game was a great experience, um, especially to be around great coaches and great uh, players around me. But I was super blessed with the opportunity to be invited, and um, I felt like I had a great week of practice and uh, talked to a lot of people, and um, they're really proud of me and every, everything that that happened there. And um, I felt like that was a huge um, step up for me, especially with um, everything going on. And uh, I was just uh, super happy about my performance. What kind of feedback did you get from coaches that week? Um, coaches said I was great. Um, first time being on the center, first time being in the huddle in a long time. And uh, they said I controlled it well. And um, that's, that's the two main things that I need to work on and um, to get better um, going into this process. And um, that's honestly the two things I've been working on um, this whole time training. But uh, they said I did not done an excellent job. And those two things, um, I could work a lot at it. Prior to the Shrine game, what was the extent of your work under center, not only even at Ole Miss, but before then? Um, usually I would just be on the center, just uh, in the red zone, or uh, if we had to get that short yard, short yardage. And um, it, was, it was those were the only times I would be on the center. All the times it would be shotgun, all the times it would be um, tempo offense, and um, just being in the huddle and saying the plays. And um, it was uncomfortable at first, but I got used to it as the week went on. And um, enjoyed it. How does being under center change the way you see things out there? Um, I think I can just focus on the field now just because I'm under center. I know the ball's coming to my hand and um, shotgun, you just got to worry about the ball first and then uh, seeing the field after. But um, I, I felt like it it, uh, it opened up a lot for me and um, it's, it's really good right now being under center. What did you take from last season at Ole Miss in terms of not only your play but also kind of lessons you learned that will help you at the next level? Yeah, I just learned a bunch, um, just learning defenses, learning time in the film room, um, learning more about the offense and uh, what, what we could do as an offense at Ole Miss. And um, I think it helped me a lot just, just being that leader and um, helping me um, be the guy that I, that I was called to be. And um, it'll help, it definitely will help me in the next level uh, when I get to the NFL. Is leadership, is that something that comes natural for you or do you feel you kind of have to cultivate it and develop it? Um, I felt like it, just, it was just natural. As soon as I got thrown in the spotlight, everything just kind of started clicking, and I started communicating, starting uh, to tell guys what to do, where to go, if they needed help, and 
I felt like uh, leadership just kind of grew in me and uh, my teammates around me for sure helped, helped with that. How much is leadership kind of having to reach out to guys that uh, maybe they're not fellow starters, maybe they're second and third teamers, but involving them, making sure you got the whole team in your corner? Yeah, so uh, leadership is a big thing, making sure everyone is involved. And um, I, was, I was that backup before, and I told them, hey, look, like your time could come. I, I pull him to the side if I have to, and I'll say one-on-one. I'm not the type to yell or scream at him. I'm the type just to just be, hey, like, try to try to be in their shoes, you know, all the time. And um, I feel like that helped me a lot, just just coming from a second stringer and then starting in the SEC. And I feel like that kind of helped me a lot to become a better leader to, to those um, that, that are riding the bench right now. What was the biggest thing you had to improve when you made that jump from second team to starting? Um, was just getting reps with the, with the number one guys. That was the most... Um, um, that was the only thing that I needed to improve on and just uh, just getting that timing on with the receivers and um, O-line and running backs did great and it was just all in, all, all in timing. If a team asks you, Jordan, what do you feel your strengths are right now but what are the areas that you need to work on to get better? What would you tell them? Um, my strengths are definitely my speed and my, my arm and things I need to work on is just, um, just being on the center and um, just saying plays in the huddle. And I believe I have every every uh, gift that I have to be an NFL quarterback and um, to go out there and execute and do my job. Um, but I believe my strengths are when I using my feet when I have to and using my arm all the time. You got a time for the forty in mind? Uh, yes, my goal is four seven. Yeah, so that's that's my goal. Have you talked with the Broncos at any point last month or here at the combine? Yeah, I talked to them a little bit. Um, just like any other team out here. Um, just wanted to know my background, everything, where I came from, um, how I look at the defense, what our offense kind of runs, and um, it was just um, just nice and a little brief. And that's a team that wants to do more under center. They hired Rich Gangarello out of the Kyle Shanahan tree, so more snaps under center than shotgun. If a team like that drafted you, how comfortable do you think you'd be doing that? Um, I think I'll just be a, I, I think I'll be a comfortable um, with any team that drafts me. If they if they draft me, they just uh, just want to let them know that they they are drafting a hard worker and a guy who is coachable and um, that I'll do anything to be on a team. Doing anything to be on a team? Well, that means doing extra work, which Tamu did here at the combine. In addition to his Saturday work with other quarterbacks, he threw the running backs in their drills Friday, along with Vanderbilt's Kyle Shermer, North Dakota State's Easton Stick, and Boise State's Brett Rippon. Doing whatever it takes to get a longer look and earn a shot. That's what you like to see. For Ryan and Steve, that's it from here at the Combine. Thanks for horsing around with us. Talk to you next week from Denver. This has been another edition of Horsing Around with Broncos insider Andrew Mason. Check out Mace on DenverBroncos.com and weekday mornings at 10 with Steve Atwater and Ryan Edwards. That's how we get it done. We'll see you next time on Horsing Around.